Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 12.28 a.m. It is Wednesday night slash Thursday morning and I uh, am a big slacker. I owe everybody an apology. I'm sorry I didn't get this out sooner. You might be able to tell in my voice I've been a little bit sick. Um, so I'm going to ask for forgiveness for not sounding perfect or for maybe coughing a little bit during this intro. Um, normally I would try and work around it, but I'm, I can't. So just take me as I am. Thank you. Um, awesome, awesome message for you here in a minute. Um, Caleb, one of the coolest dudes who goes to uh, different had this cool idea to do a sound healing at church. I think most of us didn't even really know what that was, uh, but us being the type of church that we are, we said, yeah, if it's something you're passionate about, let's do it. So we hosted a, uh, <coughs> excuse me, we hosted a sound healing. And as you can tell, it, it healed my cough. Just kidding. Um, it was really cool. It was after the service, our, our building was like totally full of people on yoga mats. Um, I loved it. I had a great time. Thank you so much, Caleb, for bringing that to us. And then randomly, it happened to be a week that Hannah was going to talk about environmentalism. And uh, it just so happens that that's one of Caleb's biggest passions. Um, he brought us the idea of the sound healing. And he also uh, left corporate America to um, start his own company called Regenerative Shift. And it's basically helping other companies make the shift towards being a little bit more environmentally conscious and friendly and thinking of ways that we can um, work together with the environment instead of just like taking from it. So I just, Caleb, you rock. Thanks for doing what you're doing. And it was really cool to be able to have kind of like a Sunday that was like all about the things that you were interested in. So uh, that is what we talked about. And um, maybe you haven't heard of a church talking about environmentalism before. And maybe you're confused why they would. Um, if that's you, then I think this is a really good message for you to check out. If you're somebody who's passionate about the environment, then I think this is a good message for you as well. So without further ado, take it away, Hannah. <sighs> Happy Sunday. Y'all, I'm really excited about this sound healing for a lot of reasons. But one of them is because my favorite part of yoga is the end where you lie still. <laughs> and you just are like, mm, especially now that I've had a child, I'm like, any time where I can just be like, mm, she's going to be at home sleeping and I'm going to be here, possibly also sleeping. <laughs> Our topic for today is environmentalism. And you would think that I plan this. And they're like, oh, Caleb, do you know what we should do? We should have a Sunday on environmentalism and also sound healing on the same day. But that was not how it happened. This was planned like months ago. And then Caleb was like, we should do sound healing. And it just happened to work out on this day. So I'm going to be really Pentecostal and be like, that was a God thing. Okay. <laughs> okay, I have a question for you. I do need your participation. So raise your hands. I can see you. So if you're not raising your hand, I'm going to know. Okay. Question. If you grew up in any kind of church, in any kind of religion, in any kind of faith, did your church care about the environment? If yes, raise your hand. Three, four people. <laughs> okay, if no, raise your hand. If you never heard it talked about, raise your hand. Okay. Of all the people who raised their hand for no or it was never talked about, were you evangelical? Hmm. You don't have to raise your hand. I heard a collective mmm. 
I, I mean, I'm not surprised. Um, I was hoping the results would be different, but I'm not surprised that they're not. Uh, the evangelical church has a long history of not caring. I wanted to say some other words there, but there's kids here. Um, of not caring at all about the environment. And I want us to think through why that is. And also maybe put forward some ideas of how we can move forward. So there's a lot of reasons why the evangelicals are like super careless about the environment. But I think there's two main ones that underlie everything. They are our cornerstones, to use a Christian term. Uh, first, the conservative evangelical mind, the hive mind, has been co-opted, maybe that's a good word, by like political interests. So that's one. The other reason is that our theology and the way we look at the world related to Jesus coming back gives us no reason to care for the planet we are on right now. And those two things work together. So we have this like revolutionary, world-changing gospel of Jesus, and then we filter it through like the coffee filter of consumerism and capitalism. And then what we get is like really weak coffee. That's like, like water that's like colored a little bit, but doesn't really give you any caffeine. What was that? Was that the Lord? <laughs> was, it, was it the empire coming to get us? For conservative evangelicals especially, we have often displayed this tendency to be against whatever liberals are for. Doesn't matter what it is. Doesn't matter if the idea is a good idea, bad idea. If it was conceived of by someone we consider liberal, bad. We don't agree. And our very theology of creation and our theology of us as humans gives us no reason to even be interested in our world let alone in its preservation, other than to like bleed it dry and profit from it as much as possible. And like, how did we get here? Because this seems very common. We, like most of us grew up with this. I think for much of Western Christianity specifically, the doctrine of creation, that is a biblical term, has been eaten alive by the doctrine of the fall, not a biblical term. In other words, human sin has caused the downfall of creation. And this has completely eclipsed, like it was beautiful and wonderful in the beginning, but then there was sin, and now everything is terrible, including you, by the way, just so you know. I know you wanted to like feel good about your life today, but no, you're bad. This is what churches like put forth, right? And I don't want to minimize human evil. Like The evil we are capable of is honestly mind-blowing sometimes. However, if due to this exaggerated doctrine of the fall, creation loses its sacredness as like God's beloved creation and artwork, we have in fact magnified human sin beyond any sane bounds and in fact added to its sad effects. And as a result, in many church circles, the only time the word creation comes up is right before versus evolution. Does that make sense to you? That the foundation of the world should only be used as a theological argument to pit us against each other? The God-affirmed goodness of creation, the beauty of creation, the preciousness of the world around us, and it's like never talked about. Instead, we have just sad stories about an ontological fall. Ontological is a fancy philosophy word that means the nature of being. 
So the way the story goes is, once upon a time, God created the world and it was good. Yay. And then Adam ate an apple or whatever he ate. And then there was an ontological fall and now everything is ruined. Meaning changed in its very nature from good to bad. Irrevocably, irreversibly damaged beyond all, nothing can save it. And very conveniently, this has degraded God's creation into a bargain bin of resources that we can use to make money off of. Why? It's much easier to put a, cry, a price on a fallen creation than a sacred one. Right? If I'm like, this, is, this thing I'm going to give you is holy and valuable. You can't be like, I think I'll sell it for $3.99. <laughs> right? But if I'm like, here, I got this, like I picked it up on the street, it was free. You can be like, mm, I'll sell it for $3.99. Make 100% profit. Don't, que don't question my math. That was clearly wrong. <laughs> Words are my specialty, not numbers. Many of us, at least I hope, we, many of us have become very uncomfortable with this exaggerated understanding of human sin and the fall. And the theology, I think the theologies of the fall and like original sin are an invasive species in church. They came over on some boat from somewhere and they have just taken over every good part of faith. If we look at the enduring Jewish concept of the world, it has nothing to do with that. Guess what? They've been around longer than us. They're like balance and harmony. That's what you find in the Jewish tradition. And not if you even want to look at Eastern Orthodox Christians or like emerging theologies in Christianity, the creation is still seen as sacred and very good and ongoing meaning God created and has never stopped creating. And if it's continual, that means God hasn't given up on the process, so neither should we. What happens when we're careful not to lose this line of thought of, that God created and continues to create? What happens when we take human evil seriously but not more seriously than we should? Then all the beautiful elements in the story like revelation and redemption and salvation and the healing of all things are just understood as a, a continuance of God's creating in the world. Creation may have been swallowed alive by like this runaway, exaggerated understanding of the fall, but like Jonah is crawling back up the beach. It's like, you swallowed me, and here I am again. And I think if we look at it that way, we can revalue creation and take it out of the second's bin. We're not like, ah, oh, our world's on clearance. <laughs> We're not gonna um, market it to some capitalist who can just be like, hmm, I have some money, let's make a little cash. Now, what's the difference between Christianity's view of creation and, say, the view of a pantheist or any kind of cosmic-style religion? Chesterton said that the essence of pantheism and evolution, like, it boils down to nature as our mother, and therefore we should protect her and care of her, right? But in Christianity, we don't say nature is our mother. We say nature is our sister. We have the same parents. It's not a matter of who's more important and who gave birth to who. It's a matter of, do you sell your sister? Or do you enjoy her and laugh with her and help her become all that she is meant to be and protect her, right? Now, if we talk about the left behind theology, how many of you are familiar with left behind? Oh yes, my favorite Revelation fan fiction. Um, <laughs> I really want to do a series on Revelation one day when I have time to write it, and I want to do an, a video where we do like a book burning, but it's the Left Behind books. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
I don't actually think any books should be burned. All words should be out in the world forever for if you want to read them. I don't think they should be given evil weight, okay? But they shouldn't be burned just because we don't like them. But I think it would be really funny <laughs> to be like, ah, throwing the books. Okay, that's a tangent. Anyways, Left Behind Theology is based on dispensationalism, which is the doctrine of the end times whose central tenet is the world is being destroyed. The end point is bye-bye to this. Maybe not you, but only if you love Jesus and you're especially lucky. Christians in the power centers of modernity, like England in the 1800s and the US in the 1900s, saw they were so depressed, honestly. They saw nothing ahead of them in this industrial revolution landscape than spiritual decline and the destruction of the world. They're like, we're just gonna keep going and the world's gonna burn. Not inaccurate. <laughs> But they couldn't see anything beyond that. Their only hope was Jesus, the second coming of Jesus in the sky, crumpling up the whole world and throwing it in the trash. When God can finally bring our souls to heaven, beyond time, beyond all this messy nonsense of the earth, right? And there's, there's no continuity in this model. There's the earth and then there's heaven and they don't intersect. In this model, the earth gets erased like a mistake just like the flood at the beginning, right? God's like, oops, <laughs> who knew that was gonna happen? We might as well drown everyone, it's fine. And they're like, guess what? God will do that again. We'll just crumple it all up, toss it in the bin. Why should we get sentimental about a Tupperware container that's stained with spaghetti sauce? Why should we get sentimental about a container that we live in that's just gonna be chucked at the end of time? Why should we care about something that God's going to put in the trash compactor of nothingness? This theology, I feel like, made an understandable but serious mistake because it wrongly assumed that that was all there was or ever would be. And I guess if modernity is all there was or ever would be, it is, does look pretty hopeless. <laughs> but just as the early Christians could not imagine Christianity or like they couldn't even imagine it beyond the Roman Empire. They couldn't imagine the Roman Empire ending and Christianity living beyond that. These people couldn't imagine modernity ending and us living beyond that. And how hopeless of the future would it be if indeed this just continues, right? For this theology to spread though, it did have to ignore or reinterpret or shove to the side like pretty much most of the Old Testament and Jesus because there's all these metaphors in the prophets of the lion laying down with the lamb. No more fighting. There's children playing with snakes used as a metaphor, not being bitten. There's swords that are weapons of war being turned into farming utensils because there is no need to fight anymore. And this is all through the Old Testament. And then we're like, yeah, the Old Testament is bad and God has, you know, God was an angry God back then. But there is this hope in the Old Testament that they completely ignored. And then we get to Jesus, who is like, the kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven walks among you. Heaven is actually here. You're already experiencing some of it, not to the fullness, but little glimpses. So we just ignore that Jesus said that. We're like, yeah, the world, he definitely didn't mean like our world. That would make too much sense. 
when we talk about the plain meaning of scripture, y'all ever heard that growing up? The scripture has a plain meaning that is just easy to understand. Okay, how about if we take the plain meaning of what Jesus said, where he said, the kingdom of heaven is among you. And we were like, hmm, by among you, you mean sometime in the future when this world doesn't exist, right? But I think that a lot of us are noticing that the kingdom of God that Jesus brought, like, it matters now. In this kingdom, sparrows matter. In this kingdom, lilies of the field matter, right? In this kingdom, people matter, and they might matter more, but it's not a matter of either or or. It's a matter of degree in a world where everything matters, and everything is part of God's good creation. And God sent Jesus into the world with this saving love, and Jesus sends us with a similar saving love for the poor and forgotten, of course, but for all God's creation, for all God's creatures who suffer from the same things we suffer from. Greed, impatience, selfishness, arrogance, hurry, anger, competition, irreverence, and most of all, our theology that cares for the souls of humans but not for their bodies and cares for some mysterious future in heaven, but not our history on earth. There's danger on both sides. We have like liberals, we have like conservatives. And typically, if you started over here, you're like, that's bad. I'm over here now. <laughs> it's all bad, we don't want any of it. So there's dangers in both sides though, because liberal Christians have really been tempted <laughs> to become the civil religion of socialism, which is like the state will fix everything. We should hold all things in common and the state will fix everything, forgetting that the state is run by us, humans, greedy and selfish as we are. And so it won't really fix anything, will it? Because there's still power and there's still control and the whole system is broken to begin with. But conservative Christians on the other side have just as much of a problem, maybe even more of a problem, because they are like, ah, oh, do you know what we would love? to be the happy mistress of capitalism. <laughs> we would just love to be told that nothing matters and we can just make as much money as possible and we can just grind in this machine and we will defend private ownership and private enterprise as vigorously as we do our Pledge of Allegiance. <sighs> I find all of this exhausting. Here's what I found. <laughs> the man is listening. <laughs> Here's a question. This is the question I want to ask. Can we imagine another understanding of ownership outside of the liberal idea, outside of the conservative idea, an idea that imagines or acknowledges no matter what the paperwork says that the earth is the Lord's? not ours, that the earth belongs to God and everything in it. Can we imagine an economy based on care and stewardship instead of profit and loss? I think if you find yourself in the progressive Christian sphere, you may come into conflict. Like Words like private and ownership and enterprise kind of come into conflict with words like communal and fellowship and mission. I'm not coming for your private property here, okay, <laughs> if you own any. I just want us to consider that seeing beyond our own individual lives to the community around us, that actually sharing our resources and not holding so tightly to everything that comes into our lives 
and participating in God's healing project for the world, that is more important than getting whatever we can whenever we can for as cheaply as possible. Now, I kind of have to, I mean, I'm a little bit cynical. <laughs> a little bit, I'm working on it, okay? God has to heal my heart, okay? Um, I admit that apart from some miracle, I don't see the world really changing. Like, is there a human power capable of standing up to the expanding empire of global consumerism? But guess what? As a Christian, miracles are not out of the question. Is it possible that if we celebrate God's ownership, this could fuel like a grace-based economy instead of a greed-based economy? I think an economy of stewardship, it's not gonna see every mountain as like a potential strip mining operation. It's not gonna see every forest as cubic feet of lumber. Instead, we see everything as God's. And if we see everything as God's, that means that whatever we own we see is actually just entrusted to us for a short time. Borrowed, reverently used, and cared for, right? After which you must let go through one way or another. Either you gift and you share with other people, or it's taken from you when you die. You still can't take it with you, so why are we holding so tightly? Even the molecules that make up our bodies are on loan to us. They're going back into the earth. They'll become some other life. One day, we will give it back, perhaps with an account of how we used it. Time being another precious resource that we've been given stewards of. And I think modern Protestant Christianity, evangelicalism is so focused on like the local church and like national church and we're doing world missions, right? I don't mean to like be quoting doing this every single <laughs> phrase, but like we're, we're like, are we really doing missions or are we just expanding our national church structure to other locations in spiritual colonialism and literal colonialism? Is that being a neighborly? Is that being good stewards of the resources that God has given us to just parachute in somewhere else and be like, I know what your problem is. Let me fix it. And then we're like, okay, bye. <laughs> I don't mean to dump on every mission, right? There are things that are wonderful that are going on in the world. But I think what we need is not our individualism. It's an understanding of neighborliness. Love your neighbor as yourself. The, all the law and all the prophets boil down to these words from Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If we could just extend our thinking beyond me, myself, and I to think about our neighbors as the gospel teaches us, then we are, will then have to think about immediately our neighbors who are suffering downstream from our water pollution and down in, downwind from our air pollution and downhill from our erosion. And if we consider our neighbors in time as well as space, how does that change how we think about our children and our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and on and on and on? What toxins are we sending through time to poison them? Are they our neighbors just because they're not alive right now? Can we not think about them? What kind of world do we wanna leave those who are downstream from us in time? Do we wanna leave them a world even less in balance than today? Is that neighborly? Is that loving? 
our neighbor. I think the more we as Christians follow Jesus by thinking in terms of our duty to our neighbors, the more we will take our stewardship of creation seriously. What will we do? That kind of remains to be seen, I think. But for starters, like you can't do anything different until you care differently. If we can get caring differently to catch on among Christians, can you imagine the good effects? Christianity is the largest religion in the world. We're like, oh, what do we do? We're just a few people on a Sunday morning. Are we though? There are billions of Christians or people that call themselves Christians. And ultimately these effects, they have to go beyond our individual things, like conserving and reusing and recycling. Those are important, but for there to be change, there has to be systems change. There has to be like the systems of transportation, the systems of housing, the systems of farming, the systems of family. Like we love individualism here. So we're like, definitely when you grow up, you get out of your parents' house and you don't live with them anymore. Um, is that wise? as far as stewarding for creation? Or is an extended family model of like biological family or chosen family who are living together in support of each other, is that a better stewardship of creation? I admit I have a very hard time with that one. I wrote that and I was like, oh, I'll say that. <laughs> because I love my family so much and I love my in-laws so much and I don't wanna live with them. <laughs> Unless they are like, there's like a door. <laughs> like I want my own living room, I want, I, like, my family actually lived with me for a while, my brother and his wife and their daughter for a while. One of my main complaints was I had to constantly wear pants. <laughs> and that's not, that's like a minor complaint. Y'all want to live with your moms? I mean, moms, we love you. I can't wait for Nova to grow up and be like, Mom, I love you so much. Please get out of my house. <laughs> I have a really hard time with that one. Maybe God has some work to do in my heart, too. Because the way that we're thinking about things is very individual. This is what I need. This is what my family needs. This is the food I need. This is the transportation I need. This is the political system I need. What about what we need? And what if we includes the earth? Who can't speak for itself and needs a voice? I feel like these changes may be 100 years out. But if we don't start thinking about it now, then they'll be a thousand years out. And that might be too late. Like just caring is a good start. Caring is like a real step. Who knows where it could leave, lead if you just care enough, right? And I wanna end with a lovely, y'all can come back up, I forgot. <laughs> I got carried away in my, God has the work on my heart about my family. I hope I'm not like putting that in the universe. Hmm. <laughs> I want to end with the words of the last chapter of Revelation, the last chapter in the whole Bible, the lovely, hopeful words that we find at the end because it says, it has this image of what the future could look like, right? It says, then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street and on each side of the river grew a tree of life, bearing 12 crops with a fresh crop every month and the leaves were used as medicine to heal the nations. No longer will there be a curse on anything. 
for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads and there will be no night, no need for lamps or sun for God will shine on them. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty, come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. How often do we say, come and drink freely. Come and eat freely. Come and share freely. Come and be yourself freely. Perhaps we're afraid of surrender because we don't want to give up control. We never had control. We just had anxiety. What are we afraid of losing? If we care enough about each other to change the way we live, what are we afraid? What if we're not losing anything? What if we're gaining something beautiful? All of the molecules in our own bodies are on loan to us. All of the minutes in our day are on loan to us from someone who says as a baseline, you are good and valuable and you belong here and you're worth being alive. So as a baseline, that's what we get to say to other people. Kiana has two more songs. I just, you can stand and we'll sing together, but as she sings, I want you to hold this picture of a beautiful, clear, crystal river of life in your mind. And the beautiful trees of life, both open to everyone in the world. And then picture our own beautiful, sacred, created world. And then picture our own beautiful, sacred, created bodies. Let's care about it.